Welcome back. You're watching HFO TV. HFO TV is co-sponsored by J.R. Johnson LLC, specialists in multifamily restoration and repair work. Gantry Incorporated, the nation's largest independent mortgage banking firm. Butler Exchange Group, offering 1031 tax-free exchange services and forensic building consultants, experts in the diagnosis, repair, and preservation of multifamily assets. Welcome back to HFO TV. I'm broker Aaron Kirk Douglas. And with me today is Katie Gould, a researcher with the Sightline Institute. Thank you for joining us today, Katie. Great. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and the Sightline Institute? Sure. Uh, my name is Katie Gould. I am a longtime Portland resident. I've been there for 10 years, and I'm a transportation researcher for Sightline. And Sightline, we are a sustainability think tank in the Pacific Northwest trying to um, decarbonize and also in a way that is uh, good for communities you know, with a healthy future that we all want to live in. So a lot of the work that we do is about cities, about building cities and allowing more people to live um, in places that are walkable. So along those lines, you've written a lot about parking mandates nationwide and trends that are taking place now to reverse those. Can you tell us what's motivating that change? Yeah, there's a couple of things that have changed over the past decade, but I kind of want to start with like, where did parking requirements come from? Uh, most cities adopted these zoning rules back in the 1950s, right? And think about the context. Americans are buying huge amount of cars and mm -hmm. right. It's like a growing problem. Where are we going to put all these cars in our city and parking requirements were thought to be the solution. If we require every new building, um, or every even remodeled building to have off street parking, then we'll never have a parking problem here. And there'll be a, you know, a, a bed for every car to tuck in at night. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of negative consequences that have happened in the decades since, right? This has, um, even though we think parking is free when you're driving a car to a parking lot, parking costs an enormous amount of money to build and maintain, and also a lot of land that you can't devote to other uses like a restaurant or a new home. Um, so the costs of these rules have really accumulated over the decades. Now we have nationwide housing shortages where people have a very hard time finding affordable housing um, in kind of more central city areas and it's causing a lot of sprawl, right? So people have to drive far away from their job or their other amenities in their neighborhood like schools um, to find affordable housing. It spreads all these locations apart and is created you know, for us as Americans, um, a society that's very dependent on driving to get around for your basic needs. I've heard that parking costs to a new building are about $30,000 per stall. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah, it depends a lot on the location and what type of parking spot it is. Surface parking is uh, the cheapest. And then you go all the way to, you know, underground or multi-level parking garages. So kind of the range can be anywhere from $10,000 a space up to 60, sometimes in, um, in hot real estate markets, maybe even $80,000 a space for construction. So Oregon has recently made significant changes in its parking requirements. Can you talk about those changes and what some of the uh, expected impacts are? Yeah. So the Oregon, the Land Conservation Development Commission, which is a state um, commission 
that oversees land use regulations in Oregon since the 1970s, they just adopted a big suite of new land use changes and parking requirements is just one of those tools in that package. And the ultimate goal is to, you know, help as we develop into, you know, decades and generations into the future to help that development be able to build kind of out of our way of car dependence, you know, as properties get redeveloped over time, right? This kind of came out of an executive order on greenhouse gas emission reduction. Um, So what we can see immediately with parking requirements is that starting next year, January 1st of next year, um, the jurisdictions that are inside Oregon's eight metro areas are no longer going to be allowed to require parking for certain kinds of new developments, right? So those include new regulated affordable housing. It includes uh, buildings that are within a certain um, radius of frequent transit, I believe it's half a mile um, in most cases. Um, Also properties like uh, small residences, smaller than 750 square feet, and also types of facilities like for um, people with disabilities, domestic violence shelters, homeless shelters, all of you know those categories of new construction can get the option to choose how much parking works for them. You wrote an article uh, on that I saw on the uh, Sightline Institute uh, website about some of your predictions of things that are going to happen uh, when this law takes effect. Um, can you talk about those? Yeah, um, like any zoning change, this is gonna, it's gonna take a long time to see any uh, major impacts to your community. But what we have seen um, as more towns have done this, right? And you kind of look at the, the history of who's deregulating is really a lot of places in the last 10 years, especially the last five or two or three years. So this is kind of a new deregulation that's happening. Um, so we're taking kind of lessons of other, other places that have gone, gone ahead and gone first. Um, some of the benefits that we've seen from other towns, um, I think we're going to talk about Fayetteville a little bit more later, is, um, you know, small properties, historic properties that don't have big parking lots already. Um, A lot of times buildings that were built before these regulations were adopted in the 50s have a really hard time coming back into use. Right. So there's Mm -hmm. a vacant building. It doesn't comply with the current zoning code. It's going to take a lot of work to do that. And for a small local builder, that can just be out of reach. Um, So this gives people the flexibility to say, hey, this property is going to work for us. Um, And it gets kind Mm -hmm. of that one barrier out of the way. So one of the other things that helps um, with that kind of redevelopment is that we have such an excess of of off-street parking spaces. So people that have more parking than they need um, for their business can start renting out space maybe to nearby um, properties or developments that are would like to choose to build less. Mm-hmm. So we can okay. kind of make a more efficient use of the parking that we already have. You also um, said more parking lots will be built, ironically, uh, <laughs> which, right? But they'll be they'll be different. Um, one of the misconceptions about um, ending parking requirements is that people think it will end all new parking. And that's not the case. Um, all it does is it, it says this is not the city's job to determine the appropriate ratio of how many parking spaces are required for a bowling alley or a new apartment or for a restaurant. It just puts that decision back with the property owner to say, you know what's going to work for you. 
the best. And we're gonna not going to make your business contingent on having a certain number of parking spaces. Um, right? People drive here. Uh, I own a car. I park a car. Uh, you know, we're not going to go from, um, you know, 100 parking spaces in a building to zero um, overnight, maybe in a few decades as the city redevelops. Um, but it's going to be a really gradual change. And as long as there's like a market for parking where customers are going to want to have parking, residents want to have parking, in order for your venture to be successful, you're going to build a certain amount of parking. And that's what we see with cities that have gone ahead. Um, Buffalo, New York, they did a study on um, 36 new developments that came after the city repealed parking requirements across the whole city. And most of them, over 50%, built exactly the same or even more parking than the old rules would have uh, required, right? It's a small kind of percentage of types of projects that are going to want to use the flexibility. Um, but we should definitely allow those type of projects, right? Kind of weird geometry, lots, uh, affordable housing, right? and these kind of building remodels are um, some of the properties that are going to benefit the most from just being able to build a little bit less parking than they would have had to before without going through an extensive variance process. So you wrote this year about Fayetteville, Arkansas, where they've eliminated parking mandates. Can you talk a little bit about how that's played out there? Sure. You know, a lot of times we think about um, if we're going to get rid of requirements for parking, it has to be in only cities where you can get around without a car, right? Fayetteville, they're a smaller city, about 90,000 people in northwest Arkansas. Um, their primary motivation for getting rid of parking requirements is, you know, their city planner all these phone calls into the office. What can I do with this property or that property, right? The places that were sitting vacant for years. Um, and even though there was interest, you know, there was a lot of like, well, this, you know, this, this zoning is a barrier for this property. And, um, and they just wanted to kind of build, bring these buildings back into the urban fabric of the city and kind of get them back into the commercial market. Um, so out of all, you know, out of all the barriers for starting a new business, or building a new property, they figured this is one that the city can make it a lot easier and get this one barrier out of the way um, for local businesses. So they saw some properties um, that had been vacant kind of get redeveloped within a few years. Um, they just sent me a, a small list, you know, of like less than 10. Here's, you know, here's eight properties that we were looking at before that that we had our eye on that were having a hard time getting re redeveloped. Um, that were sold and remodeled afterwards and are now in use. Do you know whether Washington State uh, might follow our lead in this? Uh, or, you know, what, are, what do you know about, about Washington and this kind of issue? Um, Washington did pass a small bill um, that did put some caps on parking requirements near transit in 2020. It was not nearly as sweeping as what Oregon has done. Um, but, you know, when places, you know, either local cities or states think about, you know, out of all the changes that have happened in the last few years with the coronavirus, right, this trend of working from home, what do we do with our, you know, our downtown office space? Think of the rising construction costs and inflation. How can we support local businesses and residents in this housing market, right, where pr prices are changing all the time? This is a very easy tool to deregulate, to, to get cities out of the parking business of monitoring how much parking every building has um, that can help build a resilient 
economy and a resilient city that can more quickly adapt, right? You know, with all these um, different crises that governments are facing right now, uh, reforming the zoning code usually isn't at the top of the list, <laughs> right? It can kind of take years, it's really in the weeds, um, and the market can respond faster to, to these kind of market changes. So um, almost inevitably, I believe more states are going to take uh, bigger actions to, to deregulate this type of zoning regulation. I have a question of my own that I'd like to ask, uh, and that is I was just talking to a property owner who, uh, and it made me think about it a, from both sides, like cities like New York, Chicago, San Francisco, they don't have any parking. And, uh, but because I've grown up in cities and towns where we, you know, the suburbs, we always had plenty of parking. It wasn't that hard to find a space. I, I wonder where do people, like, how do people get their groceries? If there's not a store near, but do they, do they all walk? Do they get rides with friends? Just from a practical standpoint, what do you know about what people do to access, uh, basic services? So first, there's kind of this um, assumption that maybe parking requirements are requiring exactly the number of parking spots that we need, right? Um, and it's yeah. not the case. They overbuilt parking um, by a big margin. So that's kind of um, allowing the market to say this is the right amount of parking. Um, even when you get rid of parking requirements, doesn't mean that all of a sudden the curbs are going to be full or that, um, that you can't drive anymore. Um, I have a car. I moved into, this is probably helpful. I moved into a building that doesn't have any parking. It was built in the 1920s in a little commercial neighborhood in Portland. And in the 10 years that I've lived in Portland, I've parked my car on the street almost the whole time, <laughs> um, either because I had a lot of roommates, um, so we couldn't all fit in the garage, right? And you kind of have to figure out what works for you. And when I moved in there, I knew, gosh, the parking is going to be a little bit difficult near my building because it's two hour uh, limited, but there's a few options for private lots that I can pay monthly, or I can just walk a little further and I can go to where there's abundant parking. Um, so, you know, it was a trade-off that I made and I'm happy that I was able to make it um, because I live on the same block as a Trader Joe's and there's like several other grocery stores. Um, there's a post office and FedEx and train station. Um, and for me, it works really well. So um, it's kind of something that will, you know, if you have four cars, you're probably not going to want to live in a, in a new, um, in a new condo that has no parking spots. Um, but it will work for some people and uh, they deserve to have a, you know, a plethora of options. And maybe it will even encourage some of the car sharing to come back that has disappeared because I know some of that's gone away. One of the other things that have changed kind of in the last decade is that there's a lot of new technology tools that cities have that can kind of help them manage their on-street parking more easily. Things like license plate reader technology, like all these apps that you can use for parking meters. Um, right. And it's kind of this idea that the city can manage their on-street parking and the private market should manage their off-street parking. Um, but those are separate. But right, no matter right. how much off-street parking you're required to build, people are always going to park on this street. You know, that's like a sign that you're living in a, a good, healthy neighborhood with lots of exciting destinations that people want to access. So um, they're kind of separate management issues, um, but there are better tools that cities are using that weren't available 10, 15 years ago. Well, Katie Gould of the uh, Sightline Institute, 
Thanks so much for spending some of your time with us today. It's been a real pleasure. We'll okay, have you, thank we'll you have so you, much. We'll have you back again before too long. That's it for HFO TV. We'll see you next time. Our entire office specializes in multifamily real estate, making HFO the largest multifamily brokerage in the Pacific Northwest. Your success is our passion. Build your legacy with HFO. Call 503-241-5541 or visit our website at hfore.com for more information.